Hello, it's January 20th, 2021. My name is Simone, and this is 90s Crime Time. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of 90s Crime Time. And if you're new to 90s Crime Time, welcome to the show. I hope you guys had a wonderful weekend like always and are already having a great start to your week. And with that said, let's dive in to today's case. And before I begin, listener discretion is extremely advised because today's episode contains content that is extremely violent and sexually graphic in nature and may not be suitable for certain listeners. Today's case is a case from 1996, and it's very weird and uncomfortable. This case takes place in Lenore, North Carolina, and it involves the subjects of an entrepreneur, two unhappy homes, bizarre sexual fantasies, and then an outrageous murder. Like I'll mention before every episode, I'll be giving an introduction, then read from cited sources, and then finally, I'll give my opinion. This case may leave you mind blown, outraged, and maybe a little disgusted. Listener discretion is always advised. The year was 1996, and first, in Hampstead, Maryland, 35-year-old Sharon Lapodka wanted a change. She had spent many years of her life trying to utilize the new and improved World Wide Web and have a successful business career. Sharon spent day after day coming up with new business ventures that she could sell online and services she thought the public would be interested in. Sharon seemed to be pretty successful at first with her array of services, which included copywriting and editing to quote-unquote home decorating secrets. But over time, Sharon's neighbors saw less and less of her. They would usually see her husband, but almost never Sharon. And that was because from sunup to sundown, Sharon was staring at a computer screen. It was assumed at first that the reason Sharon spent so much time on the computer was because of her busy business schedule. But after a sequence of bizarre events that began in October 1996, the public would learn that Sharon didn't just use her computer for safe business ventures. Her other business ideas and interests on the World Wide Web had another side, a very dark one that would stun her friends and family, and they would learn just how dark Sharon's fascination with the internet was after her bizarre death sometime around October 13, 1996. In the following case, you'll find out what Sharon's dark secrets were, who she spent a lot of time with right up until her death, 
and the shocking circumstances regarding her demise in a case I title, Sexed to Death. Nestled away in a suburb of Baltimore, Maryland, lived the Denberg family. The matriarch and patriarch of the family were Mr. and Mrs. Abraham Denberg, who was a cantor at a local temple. And he and his wife raised their four daughters in a heavily Jewish religious household. They made sure their daughters spent their upbringing learning and participating in their Jewish faith. Their oldest daughter, Sharon, was no different. Growing up, Sharon performed Hebrew standards with her father and sisters at the temple, and as she grew older, it seemed as if Sharon stuck to her parents' strict rules about following the usual Judaism teachings. However, once she hit high school, Sharon rebelled a little. For example, like many Jewish households, she kept her lifestyle kosher and kept the Sabbath day sacred. But sometimes, according to a former classmate who was also Jewish, Sharon sometimes would not always follow the rules. And after she graduated high school in 1979, her rebellion and independence began to show more. After graduation, Sharon went through a series of jobs including a job as a clerk in an FBI fingerprint lab. But then, once she hit the age of 29 in 1991, Sharon fell in love and married a man by the name of Victor Lopatka, who was a construction supervisor. The couple seemed to be in wedded bliss, but Sharon had a problem. Her parents didn't approve of the union. Why? It was because Victor Lopatka was Catholic. They wanted Sharon to marry a fellow follower of Judaism. Her parents weren't as upset as they were embarrassed by the marriage. Sharon's father was a cantor at the temple and Sharon's marriage to a non-Jewish person was downright inconceivable for her family. But this was Sharon's biggest act of defiance towards her parents. And after marrying Victor, they made their home in another town of Maryland. But according to people who knew Sharon, it seemed as if she really wasn't in love with Victor. Her marriage seemed to them as just a way for Sharon to break free of her parents' strict Jewish rule. Sometime after the marriage, Sharon quit her job at the fingerprint lab and began to work for herself as a small business entrepreneur exclusively online. Sharon's alleged first business was titled Classified Concepts, where she rewrote ad copies for advertisers for $50 per ad. This website of hers also offered editing, and Sharon's small business started doing pretty well. Sharon started seeing such prospective success with one online business that she decided to start more and more online businesses. Sharon had a psychic reading 900 number business in which she received a percentage of the revenue. And she also had a website that offered quote unquote home decorating secrets. 
But even though she had an array of online businesses, Sharon spent so much time on the computer running business after business that according to reports, she barely spent time with her husband, Victor. And the couple were hardly seen together so much that the Lopodka's neighbors would see Victor from time to time jogging around the neighborhood with the family's dog or regularly riding his bike. But the neighbors would barely see Sharon. And when they did, it was only when she would leave and come from her home. The Lopodkas seemed very reclusive, but according to one neighbor, when they would interact with other neighbors, Sharon and Victor were cordial, just not too talkative. The neighbors of the Lopodkas just didn't know much about them. One neighbor even said they didn't even know Sharon's name. Meanwhile, in the Lopodka home, while the other neighbors were interacting with each other and partaking in usual neighborly activities. Victor continued his construction job and Sharon continued with her online businesses. But what her family, friends, and some acquaintances didn't know was while Sharon continued to sell psychic readings, home decorating secrets, and copy and editing services, her business dealings started to get darker. As a matter of fact, her online presence became downright weird and even a little criminal. About five years after her marriage to Victor, Sharon began to sell certain physical products online, and these products were her used panties. This grotesque business dealing wasn't all Sharon started to sell online either. Over time, Sharon delved deeper into a world of sexual fantasies to make her profit. In addition to selling her used panties, she would sell pornographic videos, which it is assumed that she did not act in, and an even more scarier and more sadistic business venture was when Sharon, who eventually went by the online pseudonym Nancy Carlson, sold videos of unconscious women having sexual intercourse. According to an article by the Augusta Chronicle, Sharon sold these videos of actual women willing and unwilling to be knocked out and drugged under hypnosis and chloroformed. Sharon spent so much time on the internet and off-the-wall sexual fantasy chat rooms and groups that she was able to advertise to these groups anything they may have been willing to buy. While Sharon was researching these outrageous sex groups online, she too began to explore her own sexual fantasies. Sharon would frequent alt-sex news groups and sex chat rooms. She would use screen names such as Nan Concentric and Gina 108. And in these chat rooms, she didn't just research what she could possibly sell. She joined in for her own pleasure. Many of these chat rooms Sharon visited explored dark sexual fantasies such as sexual torture Sharon also allegedly interacted with sexual chat room members 
that like to talk about bondage and necrophilia. Sharon allegedly continued to run her safe businesses, but these chat rooms excited her and she dreamt about fulfilling her very different sexual fantasies. In these sexual chat rooms, not only did she use the pseudonym Nancy Carlson, who was described as a screen actress who could offer to star in customized sex videos for a price, Sharon also went on other chat rooms and described herself as a 300-pound strict dominatrix and disciplinarian and a shapely 5'6 beauty. But according to reports, her favorite chat rooms seemed to be the ones that talked about torture. Beginning in mid-1996, Sharon would spend countless hours on the sexual torture chat room, and it excited her so much that sometime during her chat visits, Sharon posted on a message board that she had a fascination with being tortured until death. She was so allegedly fascinated with this form of sexual fantasy that she would post this particular fantasy, according to a report, more than 50 times because she was looking for a man to satisfy her wish. Her fantasy begging became so much that a sex activist who Sharon befriended became concerned for her and the friend tried to stop her. But Sharon refused, she wanted this. She wanted someone to torture her to death and she got so bothered by her friend trying to stop her that Sharon apparently told her, quote, I want the real thing. I did not ask for you preaching to me, end quote. Surprisingly, Sharon got many responses to her death by torturing fantasy by many different men, only for them to withdraw once they realized she was being serious. But in August 1996, Sharon came across a potential suitor who seemed as if he could fulfill her sexual fantasy, and his screen name was Slowhand. Real name, Bobby Glass. Bobby Glass was a 45-year-old Lenore, North Carolina resident who worked as, some reports say, a computer analyst, while others say as a data clerk. Bobby Glass was the father to three children and was married for, by that point, 14 years, although he was separated. According to the Washington Post, Bobby's marriage to his wife was at first wedded bliss, but sometime during the marriage, Bobby's wife became annoyed at how much Bobby spent on his computer, and she felt she was being replaced by a machine. Bobby's endless computer use became so annoying to her that his wife eventually became suspicious. Why was Bobby spending so much time on the computer? What exactly was he doing on the computer? So one day, Bobby's wife logged on to his computer, opened the web pages and emails, and found something disturbing. She had found out that Bobby had been chatting in sadistic and heavily sexual chat rooms that were quote, raw, violent, and disturbing in nature. She eventually confronted Bobby about these chat rooms, and according to a report, his wife said, quote, all of the color drained out of his face, end quote. And soon after the confrontation, Bobby's wife and children moved out in May 
1996. Five months later, Bobby began chatting to Sharon Lepotka. During their time corresponding in the sexual fantasy chat rooms, Bobby made it clear that he had a sexual fantasy and fetish for inflicting pain, and Sharon reciprocated and told him that she desired to be tortured. She told him that she wanted to be bound and strangled as she approached an orgasm. Bobby responded in depth how he would fulfill her wish by sexually torturing her and ultimately killing her. This excited Sharon. After months and months begging for someone to fulfill her fantasy, the time had finally come for her. Someone was going to torture her to death. So after months of chatting with Bobby on how we will all go down, on October 13, 1996, Sharon left a farewell note to her husband for him to find later. According to reports, the note simply said, quote, If my body is never retrieved, don't worry. Know that I'm at peace. End quote. Sharon then drove her car to a train station in Baltimore after telling Victor that she was going to visit friends in Georgia, when in fact she was headed to North Carolina, where Bobby lived. At around 8.45 that evening, Sharon arrived in Charlotte, North Carolina, where Bobby was waiting. They then drove 75 to 80 miles to his home in Lenore, North Carolina. A week after Sharon left the home and after he found her note, Victor called police. When police began to investigate, they searched Sharon's computer and found her messages to Bobby Glass and traced her chat mate to an internet service provider in North Carolina. Detectives in Maryland got in touch with police in North Carolina, and North Carolina detectives staked out Bobby's trailer for several days. Sharon's friends and family hoped for the best and hoped this was all some weird joke and that Sharon would eventually be found. On October 25th, 1996, a local judge issued a search warrant on Bobby's home. And inside, detectives found items belonging to Sharon. Bobby's home was also trashed with rotten garbage and abandoned toys. The inside was dirty and cluttered. Even worse, detectives found drug and bondage paraphernalia, child pornography, a pistol, and thousands of computer discs. As the search for Sharon continued, not too far from Bobby's home, an officer saw a fresh amount of soil. After digging only two and a half feet beneath the mound, they found who they were looking for, the decomposing body of 35-year-old Sharon Lepotka. Later that day, police arrested Bobby at his job for the murder of Sharon. According to a report, during his time in custody, Bobby told police that for several days, he and Sharon had acted out their sexual violent tendencies in his trailer and that Sharon willingly allowed him to tie her up with rope and insert household objects into her. He went on to say that Sharon allowed him to tie a rope around her neck and tighten it as she climaxed during intercourse. 
but he claimed that when he pulled the rope too hard and she died, he said he didn't mean to kill her. In fact, Bobby said, quote, I don't know how much I pulled the rope. I never wanted to kill her, but she ended up dead, end quote. After Bobby was arrested, however, prosecutors were worried about taking the case before a jury because the whole scenario was just too weird. They feared Bobby might get an acquittal because the jury might have found the whole thing unbelievable. A woman would leave her home in another state just to fulfill a sexual fantasy of being tortured to death? Fast forwarding to the year 2000, on January 27, 2000, Bobby pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter as well as six counts of second-degree sexual exploitation of a minor due to his child pornography. He was sentenced to 36 to 53 months in prison for the manslaughter of Sharon Lepotka and 21 to 26 months for the possession of child pornography. On February 20th, 2002, two weeks before his release, Bobby Glass had a heart attack in prison and later died at the hospital. The story of the death of Sharon Lepotka comes from the sources of the New York Daily News, the Baltimore Sun, the Washington Post, and others I'll put in the notes. All right, guys. Um, <laughs> well, let's just start with what in the world, WTF, WTH, whatever you want to say. Um, I say these acronyms just in case children have been listening. Um, I did mention in the beginning that a viewer, well, not viewer, listener discretion is strongly advised because it was going to be sexually and violently graphic in nature. And it was, at least to me. And I have so many questions. What in? Wow. Like death is never okay. Murder is never okay. But apparently Sharon wanted this. And if you have your kinks, you have your kinks. You know, people have fetishes of feet. They have fetishes of bondage, which, which Sharon liked. She liked bondage. People have fetishes of dressing up or, you know, those animal costumes, you know, you guys see before probably like cosplay or something while having sex or whatever. That's well, y'all, but torturing to death. And I can't even imagine like going into these chat rooms and seeing all this and seeing her used panties for sale. Oh my Oh my God. These are like, these are these like, there are people out there that buy used clothing and like for sexual pleasure. And I'm not judging. I promise I'm not, but I'm just more questioning like what, what? (laughs) I I mean, if you guys have heard of people buying used underwear, if you've bought, buy, if you've bought used underwear, that's more power to you. I just find it extremely gross and really odd that someone would search for someone's used underwear for sexual pleasure or any used underwear at all. And I read in an article on one of my sources that some either her friend or one of her family members um did a little interview and said, well, we never knew Sharon to be that way. Sharon was so nice and calm and had no idea she had these dark fantasies. But usually, the for me, the ones who have the dark fantasies will never go out and say, hey, I want to be tortured to death in public. They'll never say that. They want to be tortured while having sex to death. They don't want to say that in public. They don't want to say they're selling their, their used underwear. They don't want to say they're selling videos of women being unconscious, willingly and unwillingly uh, unconscious while having, by being raped pretty much and um, 
they're not going to go out and do that more than likely unless they're totally oddballs and I want to know is like that's how you that's how she really wanted to go out like I guess you know sex you know sex is great and she wanted to go out while doing something she wanted to do wanted to have love you know love and well not love but her sexual fantasies while dying and if that's what she wanted to do that's what she wanted to do I wonder I do wonder how Victor took all this like if I'm not good enough for my wife and apparently what I when I mentioned earlier that her she wasn't really in love with Victor it was pretty much getting away from her strict parents allegedly according to the article I read um I wonder how Victor felt all this like do you feel like you wasted time during his marriage to Sharon because maybe he loved her but you know apparently she did not she just wanted to get away and rebel with a Catholic instead of marrying another Jewish person and it's like orgasm to death like wow (laughs) wow like that's that's some strong thinking there and it was like to me it's like is life was life that bad because she had these you know legit online businesses and I don't know if she made a lot of money but according to a report she made a decent amount of money and she was pretty successful in her online businesses and I mean she would make deals here and there and Victor worked at a construction company so I mean I'm assuming the bills were paid but was life really that bad that she wanted to be tortured to death and she left that note that farewell note to Victor saying she's at peace if you know if she doesn't if they don't find her body no you know know that I'm at peace and I just wanted to know why it was so bad for life was so bad for her if she felt that she needed to be she wanted to die pretty much just by suicide with someone else's hands and Bobby and Sharon both spent computer you know spent more time on the computers with more than with their spouse and like I said with Victor I wonder if he felt like well this you know his marriage was a waste or something and you know how could she spend more time with them on a chat room and with someone who killed her than with me or you know Victor and the same with Bobby Glass's wife like she said she felt she was being replaced by a machine meaning the computer like he barely spent time with her and I don't know if he spent time with the kids or not but he definitely according to her did not spend time with her and I'm just confused by the whole thing and he and Bobby said um Bobby said that he didn't mean to kill her but you knew why she was there you willingly said okay you know you knew Sharon wanted to be tortured death to death and you knew that she um had these sexual fantasies about torture and all this stuff and you didn't mean to kill her but then why did you bury her like were you scared was was it too weird for you you thought the cops would think it was too weird and you just wanted to hide all the evidence you could but then again you left the child porn out and then the all these discs I never knew what was on the disc but they said they had thousands he had thousands of like cd-rom disc and computer like floppy disc or whatever I don't know what was on those but I can only imagine what was and I really don't want to know maybe you guys want to know but I just can't I I don't know what to say about all this. Like, like I said, you have your kinks and a lot of people want to leave this earth by suicide, but that way and by someone else's hands, like I, uh, it's kind of like slimy to me, but you know, like I said, it's not my life. I hoping that Sharon is at peace. Um, maybe Victor's at peace too. Like I said, that's, that's even worse too, because he was two weeks from being released and then he has a heart attack and dies. Like, I wonder if something happened like in his mind, like felt guilt or something like I'm going back into the real world now. Oh my gosh. They know that I had child porn. They know that I killed somebody. They knew I had sex, you know, kill somebody by torturing them to death during sex. And 
you know, I wonder if he panicked before he was going to be released and died. You know, he may have just had a silent heart attack. I don't know. Just something happened through his body. Can, you know, something biologically happened. Who knows? But like I said, people have their kinks. Some just are too weird for words, in my opinion. And yeah, that's it. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of 90s Crime Time. And I hope you enjoyed. I know some other podcasters don't like to read their reviews, but I do. So if you leave one, I hope you'll be nice. I know I mentioned that 90s Crime Time would be on YouTube and Patreon. And yes, 90s Crime Time has made it to, uh, well, not Instagram, guys, YouTube. Yes, we're on Instagram too, but we have made it, well, I have made it to YouTube, 90s Crime Time. But unfortunately, Patreon is still in the works because I want to make it perfect and pretty and nice for you and non-confusing. So please bear with me, guys. And lastly, before I go, I'd like to leave you with a word from my friend from a fabulous podcast. So, what do you get when you combine murder with horrific? Well, you get Murderific. Murderific is the awesome true crime podcast hosted by Bernadette, and on her show, she does everything from talking about local and worldwide cases to lesser-known crimes like 90s Crime Time. My favorite episode on Murderific so far is the case of Ray Carruth. Like, he was scary, guys. Like, to me, he's an NFL player, big-time NFL player for the Charlotte um, Panthers back in the 90s. He does something stupid and ends up in prison. I'll say that. And um, I've heard so much about this story, and it's a 90s crime. But, like I said, but I love the way Bernadette tells it. So stay safe and healthy, wash your hands, and wear a mask. And I'll see you next week for a brand-new episode. Here's a word from Bernadette from Murderific. My name is Bernadette, the host of Murderific True Crime Podcast. Murder plus horrific equals murderific. I cover some cases from the state of Maine in the United States and all over the world. Mass murders, domestic abuse, unsolved cases, serial killers, and mostly lesser known subjects. We don't shy away from the details, but we do that with all respect. This is an entertainment these are real people's lives, and I'm here to tell their story. Join me for my season five reboot, and together we will be executing podcasts one crime at a time.